Amen. Thank you, Chloe. Good morning again. Good morning. I was saying to a few people um, before uh, more people arrived for church this morning that a couple of weeks ago I preached on the Great White Throne, and today I'm going to be preaching on a topic that, again, is perhaps not a very popular topic to be preached on. So maybe instead of naming this series Deo Lingo, I should have named it How to how to Lose Friends and Empty a Church. <laughs> but there we go. But this morning, as we um, as we gather, who's, who's benefiting from an extra hour in bed this morning? I noticed that all the hands up don't have kids. <laughs> but yes, I promise that this morning I'm not going to take that extra hour from you. Um, I'm not going to take it back from you as we gather around the world. But I would say this, um, that this topic that we're going to be looking at this morning has a large subject matter. And if at any point I lose you along the way, just give us a wave. Give us a wave, okay? The topic we're going to be looking at this morning as we continue in our Daily Lingo series is one which preachers up and down the country tend to shy away from. Uh, and in a bit to ensure that the whole counsel of God and the whole counsel of Scripture is preached from the pulpit, they normally ask the guest speaker who's covering their holiday or their annual leave um, during, to, to preach it whilst they're on holiday if they wouldn't mind preaching on it. And to be honest, it's something that I've thought about uh, doing this morning. However, not only is what we're going to be looking at this morning an important part of our duty as the people of God, it is also a spiritual discipline which should be taught, which should be embodied, and should be practiced in the life of all who call themselves the children of God. Now, this morning we're going to be looking at the topic of tithing, considering together what it is, why it is important, what it is not, and why it is important to us as the people of God in this place in the 21st century, especially in a time whenever everyone is feeling the squeeze and feeling the tension of cost of living crisis, as the cost of living seems to increase at an alarming and unsustainable rate in our nation. Chloe has already read to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15, and this forms our central text this morning. But with all of that in mind, before we dive any deeper or go any further, let us just join in prayer and pray together. Let us pray. Father God, as we gather around your precious word this morning, we pray that you would speak to us by your spirit, granting to us a spirit of generosity and thankfulness for all that you have done on our behalf. We love you and we invite you to transform us by the renewing of our minds, that we might become molded more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, growing in Christ's likeness and our knowledge of you. And all of this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, as we journey through our Titan Deo Lingo, let us consider the following three things. Firstly, let us consider where does Titan originate from? 
Secondly, let us consider Christian giving and stewardship. And then lastly, let us ask and wrestle with the question, is tithing still relevant to us in a 21st century context? So, as we dive in, right off the bat, it is important to establish what is a tithe and where did it come from? The word tithe simply means a tenth. A tenth. Tithe simply means a tenth. The roots of what we call a tithe are found in the Old Testament scriptures, and the first mention of the tithe are found in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 to 20, where Abraham pays Melchizedek, king of Salem, a tenth or a tithe of everything in response to Melchizedek's blessing of Abraham. Now as we dive deeper into the larger narrative of scripture as this unfolding story of God, we will see that Jesus, like Melchizedek, is a priest and a king. And how Jesus is a priest and king forever in the order of Melchizedek. We read about that in the Psalms and we also read about it in the book of Hebrews. Melchizedek, who was a king of righteousness and a king of peace. Something which, when we read scripture, proves to be very important whenever we consider the reality of Jesus, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Now this concept of tithe then becomes a requirement of the Mosaic law. The law which was given to the people of Israel. <coughs> in which a requirement is placed upon the Israelites to give 10% of their crops that they grew and the livestock that they raised to the tabernacle or to the temple. Indeed, the Mosaic law, get this, the Mosaic law required multiple tithes, one for the Levites who were the priestly tribe, one for the, for the use of the temple and the various feasts which were part of Jewish life, and one for the poor. And actually, it didn't account for 10% of the overall income of the Jewish people, but actually it accounted for 23.3% of their income between the three times. We read in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, he ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all the things produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. Now, I know what you're thinking this morning, right? Because I know what you're thinking because I thought it too. 23.3%? That's taking the mickey. A little bit. Isn't it? It's taken the mickey. I, I, I thought a tithe was 10%. We've literally just said that tithe means ten, one tenth. So what are you talking about 23.3% for? If I were to give away 23.3% of my income right away, I want to tell you, I would definitely struggle. And I know that most of it, all of you in the room would do the same today. Times are hard. Things are tight. The purse strings are having to be tightened that little bit more just to make sure that we simply get by. 23.3% seems a little bit excessive, doesn't it? I see a few nods. 
One thing that I would say to that is this. <coughs> Income tax is 20%, and national insurance contributions, although it's not a definite science, is around 12%. There is an understanding that we've paid tax to the government. We don't like it. We surely complain about it. But it's something that happens. You see, there is an understanding amongst scholars that part of the Old Testament tithe was actually a method of taxation to provide for the needs of the Levites who were set apart to serve <laughs> in the temple and therefore could not earn in their own right. Okay? So it's important whenever we think about 23.3% figure that actually part of it is However, it's also important for us, everybody's still in the room, right? It is important for us this morning to recognize that we are not Old Testament Israelites. Who here identifies as an Old Testament Israelite? Nobody, right? So whenever we talk of a tithe, and whenever we talk about tithing in the church, we are talking about 10%, not 23.3%. But it is important for us to understand the context in which the tithe originated. Now, being an imperfect people, the Israelites didn't always get it right. And as a consequence, they ended up disobeying God time and time again. One such time we read about in the prophet Malachi, or as a famous preacher from Northern Ireland once said, it's Malachi in this part, for some others it's Malachi, right? But in the prophet Malachi, that the people of Israel did not bring the full green offering to the temple as God had commanded them. That's what we read. Then in Malachi 3 and 8, verse, uh, verses 8 to 10, will a mere mortal rob God? God is speaking and he says, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. You see, because of their disobedience, because of the disobedience of the Israelites, God judged them not by sending famine or not by striking them down, but by sending them a smaller harvest than they had hoped for. And in his mercy, he reminded them of the challenge that he had laid before them in the Levitical law in Leviticus 6, 14-23 where they were commanded to bring the full tithe of grain and see that in response to this full tithe of the grain that God blessed them with abundance. Do you remember what Chloe read to us earlier from 2 Chronicles, uh, 2 Corinthians rather, 9, 6 to 8? Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, remember this? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap 
generous time. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So that's a little bit of the origin, but what, what does this mean for us this morning? As a people called Nazarene, but perhaps more importantly as the people of God, what does this mean for you and for me? If our father, who's heard this phrase thrown about, our father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It's one of my dad's favourites. Loves throwing it about. Right? And he throws it about with good reason. But if our father does indeed own a cattle on a thousand hills, does he really need our money? If the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, what does he need our money for? <laughs> does he really need our giving? Perhaps a better way to frame this and a better way to look at this is through the lens of what the Bible has to say about giving and about stewardship. You see, as people who worship as part of the Wesleyan tradition and understand therefore theology in this way, what do our roots have to say about the importance of giving? What does the Bible have to say about the importance of giving? Firstly, the Bible teaches on our roots, as a way of people show us that giving is rooted. Giving is rooted in God's very being. Our God is a giving God. We are called to be stewards, and a steward is one who ensures that all have a place at the table of God's provisions. Our church, therefore, can never become a place that is an exclusive club, where only people who have a certain mind, who look a certain way, and speak a particular lingo can be a part. Our church can never become that. You see, in his abundance and in his mercy, God has graciously invited us to share in his life. And he gives to us life in all of its fullness by calling us to make sure that we have all things necessary in order that we would not merely survive, but that we would thrive as the people of God, that we would flourish. And he calls us, therefore, in our giving to ensure that our church and our community do not merely survive, but that they come to a place where they begin to thrive. So giving is rooted in God's very existence. And giving is indispensable to our Christian discipleship. Did you know that giving is part of a holy life? Giving is a part of a life that is sold out to Christ. Paul, inspired by the Spirit, instructs us in Romans 12, and verse 1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This same Paul has been crucified 
with Christ, and it is no longer he who lives, but Christ who lives in him. And he instructs us to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Now, I want to say this. Paul is not Jesus, and Paul is not God. Paul was an imperfect human like you and me, but his heart was entirely devoted to God. And he loved that he would be like Christ. And he calls us to imitate him in doing the same. And as the people of God, our lives are no longer our own, but they belong to God. Not just our talents, not just our likes and our dislikes, but as uncomfortable as it may be, that includes our money as well. A life surrendered to Christ, a life growing in Christ's likeness, inevitably experiences changing and changes in spending habits and a growth in giving to the work of Christ. Giving is rooted in God's very name. It's indispensable to our discipleship. And it also involves more than the products of just our labor. Our giving does not only include our finances, but it includes every part of who we are. That includes our gifts and our talents. It includes our money. And it includes that precious commodity called who feels like they need an extra day in the week to get everything done that they need to get done? Right? I'm not, I'm not the only one then, that's good. Right? But it also includes our time. Time is a commodity. If you talk to children and you got to the very core and you, you, you ask them, what's the best gift that you've ever got? Or what's the best gift that you could ever be given? There would, of course, some say that it was the dinosaur that they got whenever they were 12. It, who's getting a dinosaur is 12, but you know what I mean, you know? Some would say it's this and some would say it's that, but as people grow older, they come to recognize that the greatest gift that you can give somebody else is your time. And with your time, your attention. If I were to shower my children with gifts and not spend time with them, they would grow to resent me. Time is a precious commodity. If I said that I was praying for you, but I never came and actually prayed for you, it wouldn't really carry much weight, would it? Our giving includes serving in the church and partaking in the good works that Christ has prepared in advance for each one of us to do. It includes sacrifice. It includes sacrifice for faithful attendance at church meetings. It includes sacrifice by attending prayer meetings and the like when it's lashing outside and it's the last thing that you want to do. It includes visiting the sick and helping those who are in need. It includes being the hands and the feet of Christ in a practical way, be that volunteering at the olive branch or doing odd jobs around the church that nobody else maybe knows about. Giving is not necessarily prescriptive, but it does include the using of our gifts and our talents for the advancement of God's kingdom <coughs> on earth. <coughs> giving moves 
charity, to building communities of shalom, or communities of peace, communities where people are connected to each other, where justice and compassion prevail, not just in word, but in reality. We are called not to control, but to bring about justice. We are called to meet people at the point of their need, not to decide what their need is for them. Meeting the needs of our community and sharing the good news of the gospel must go hand in hand. Why? Because both are good values. Our call as the church is to evangelize those outside the kingdom. Yes, of course it is. But our call is also to give a voice to the voiceless and to build communities that reflect God's reign of justice, generosity, and joy. Giving and stewardship is more and about more than just money. But it does include money. After all, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Psalm 24 and verse 12. So that brings us to our question this morning. Is tithing still relevant? Is tithing important? Does an Old Testament practice found in the Mosaic Law, found in the Old Testament, the law that was given to the people of Israel thousands of years ago, does this Old Testament practice still apply to me today? And what difference does it make, or should it make, to me in the way that I live, in which we are called to live as the people of God? I've heard many say to me, some in this room, some in other rooms, um, and other places. I've heard many say to me that tithing is an old covenant practice and therefore does not have any relevance under the new covenant brought in by the death and resurrection of Christ. This morning I would respectfully challenge that, not in terms of the validity of the statement, but rather in terms of the heart posture. Jesus himself said in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Who here likes to be called a hypocrite? <coughs> Nobody. And he's calling out the big guns of the day. He says, you hypocrites, you give a tenth, you give a tithe of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. See, when Jesus is speaking to the teachers of the law who knew the Old Testament law better than I do and better than you do, knew it like the back of their hands and devoted their whole life to learning it and then to teaching it. The issue that Jesus raises with them was not tithing. It was, a, it was the rejection of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Notice, and I've deliberately kept it up behind me, nowhere here does Jesus condemn or do away 
with tithing. But he does challenge the attitude of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. The attitude that perhaps I have been guilty of having in the past as well, which says, as long as I put my money in, I still get my say. As long as I put my money in, I still get my say. And he's challenging that framework, thought framework, and he's challenging the act of charity, whereby justice, mercy, and faithfulness. The reality is we can throw money at this charity and we can throw money at that charity. And I'm not, not in any way barraging that. I'm not in any way saying that that is bad. There are multiple, multiple charities that do wonderful, wonderful work throughout the world. So hear my heart on that. right? But we can throw money at this and we can throw money at that. And if we go down to the... If we, if, we, if we dig a little deeper and we go down into it all, our motivation very often is to make ourselves feel a little bit better. Our motivation very often is to do these things because, well, do you know what? I have something, so I probably should. Our motivation could be, well, do you know what? If I do this, it'll help me with my tax return. If I do this, it'll look good on a piece of paper. The attitude that Jesus is calling out here is that very attitude to the teachers of the law and to the Pharisees. And rather, he's taking that, things that are good in their own right, and he's saying, there's almost no point. In fact, there is no point. If you forget about justice, if you forget about mercy, and you forget about faithfulness. You see, Jesus calls us as a people to a life of justice, to a life of mercy and a life of faithfulness without neglecting the giving of tithes. Jesus says, Matthew 5 and 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, Jesus came that we might be transformed more and more into his likeness. That we might live as he lived. Not neglecting that which has gone before, but that we might live in the fulfillment, and in the joy, and in the justice, and in the mercy, and in the faithfulness of that which has gone before. An excerpt from the Nazarene Manual. It says, all who are a part of the Church of the Nazarene are urged to contribute faithfully one-tenth of all their increases and minimum financial obligation to the Lord. And free will offerings in addition as God has prospered them for the support of the whole church. The tithe provided to the local church shall be considered a priority over all other giving opportunities which God may lay upon the hearts of his faithful stewards in support of the whole church. But more important than the church of the Nazarene man, 2 Corinthians 9, 12, 15. The 
The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable So was tithing still relevant to us today? The answer is yes. We are to give with cheerful hearts. We are to give as we have been commanded to do so. But we are also to give as we are able to do so. It's a matter of heart posture before God. Not a matter of finger wagging from the pastor. Which I hope you know I wasn't planning on doing. Today. I hope that you haven't felt that at all. See, if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and all those who dwell in it, that means that everything that we have belongs to God and has been given to us by God. The book of James says that every good and perfect gift comes from God above. But when I've been blessed, as I seek to follow after Christ, the desire is that others too would benefit from that blessing. That we would give back to God a portion of that which he has already given to us. Not so that it can sit in a bank account, not so that the Charities Commission can look and go, oh, that looks good. But actually so that the kingdom of God may be advanced in this place, at this time, in this season. And one of the ways that makes that possible is the faithful giving of God's faithful people. So is tithing still relevant? Yes. It's relevant because the money used, the money given must be used to bring about the transformation of lives as the gospel of Jesus Christ is advanced. And I want to tell you, if the, if the kingdom of God ever stops being advanced by this church, if we ever stop sharing the good news, if we ever stop reaching out to our community, give your time somewhere else. Because we don't want the money so that they can set in a bank account. We want the money so lives can be changed. That's the reason. That's the heart behind this. Because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Not my notes, but I promise with this I'll finish. I'm drawn often to the story of the widow who faithfully gives two mites, who gives two small copper coins in the temple. We read about that in the Gospels. 
And how as the, as the teachers of the law, as the Pharisees, as the good Jews chewed up so that they could put their money in the offering basket so that everybody could see them in and amongst them, probably a little bit touchy, probably kind of not wanting to be seen, was a wee widow who had nothing. A wee widow, and all that she could spare, in fact, more than she could spare, was those two little mice, two small copper coins. As the people, as the teachers of the law looked upon her, they probably thought, what well, is she Look how stingy she is. They're probably giving themselves a wee pat on the back going, look how much I need in comparison. Yet it was that widow that Jesus <coughs> picked out for praise. It says, this woman is given beyond her means. This woman has given for a cheerful act. This woman has given more than everybody else in this room combined. You may feel that, well, I don't have very much. But I want to tell you that the wee, the wee boy who had five loaves and two fish, who presented his, his lunch to Jesus amongst a crowd of 5,000 people, he didn't have very much either. But God took it. God multiplied it because he cheerfully gave. He faithfully gave. Lives were transformed. And our abundance was collected afterwards. Twelve baskets of bread. Is having still important? Yes. Here is the Lord places upon your heart. Be that big or be that small. Trust that he can do a loaves and fishes miracle for what you faithfully. For he's a good God who longs and loves to bless his people. Let's pray together as the worship team. Lord, we thank you today for the truth of your word. We thank you that you've promised. Thank you. 